Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're just going to look at one verse this morning, verse 17. If you remember, we looked at the Sunday before that you are obedient children, not to be conformed to who you used to be, because you're not who you used to be if you're saved. Would you agree with that? Say amen. And then we saw in verse 15 and 16 that he that called you is holy. And that therefore, because he that called you is holy, we're to be holy in all manner of conversation, which means our lifestyle. So in other words, in every aspect of our lifestyle, there ought to be a family resemblance to the one that saved us. And that is holiness. And then he gives this great exhortation, therefore, be ye holy. But remember how it was translated, if you remember. Here's the way it's translated. You will be holy because I am holy. So in other words, if he who is the Holy One lives in you, you will be holy. Now with that being said, look at verse 17. And, there's the connection. And... The Bible says, if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now verse 17 through verse 21 is one sentence in the Greek text. And you say, well, why aren't you dealing with the one sentence? Because I didn't want to keep you to 2 o'clock. So I'm going to just look at verse 17, and then tonight we'll look at verse 18 through verse 21. Father, would you manifest yourself, honor yourself, glorify yourself, and how you use this text in our life, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to look at this passage with me this morning. This passage uh, just absolutely is full of amazing little truths. Now, I want you to look at it with me. The first thing we're going to look at here in verse 17 is the reality of obedient children. Now, remember, as obedient children, we're to be different from this world. And as we're different from this world, we are to have a family likeness to the one that called us who is holy. And since you call on the Father. Now you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. It says, and if. Well, here's the word. That word if is a Greek word. It's translated more times than not as since. Now there's a, a clause that's connected with this in the Greek text. And here's the way it means. It means this. That since you have a habitual, continuous work of calling on him as father and so this is the reality he's making a statement of fact here and that statement of fact is simply this there's an implication given that you and I as one who is called to be holy and you and I as one who should be holy as he is holy you and I always as children of a king children of God are always calling upon him as our father. So in other words, it's just a statement of fact for every child of God. 
So he's isolating here who is the obedient children. Those that continuously always are calling upon him as father. This is the implication that's giving. Now, you say, well, what does it mean to call upon him? Well, here it's not specifically talking about calling upon him with prayer requests. It's talking about calling upon him in an area of worship. Matter of fact, this word call is translated worship in some cases. So it's saying that we call upon him as Father in a way in which our hearts are lifted up, our minds are lifted up, our affections are lifted up, and we're calling upon him with adoration, with praise, and with worship. I want to tell you something today. If you've known you've been saved and you experience the presence of God moment by moment, day by day in your life, you can't help but call upon Him in worship. And it's amazing to me how people say they're saved and never, ever worship the Lord. And so here is this statement of fact. It's a statement concerning our worship. And he says here, you and I that are saved, you and I that are obedient children, will be continuously calling upon Him with a heart of worship. When's the last time that you got alone with the Lord and didn't ask anything of Him, but just got alone with Him and praised Him for who He is? That's what this is talking about. And so... We see the implication given. But I want you to see the identification that's granted. How do I call upon him? The Bible says here that since you call upon the Father. Now, I want to help here with a statement, okay? How many of you agree today that he is God? How many agree he never ceases to be God? But how many of you agree today that when God saved you, you entered into a relationship with him as children to a father? So here's the thing. So when you pray, do you pray God or do you pray Father? Because I want to tell you there's a big difference between the two. I'm glad he's God. I'm glad he never ceases to be God. But I want to tell you, for a child of God, he is your heavenly Father. This is the reason Jesus said that the model prayer, how we should pray, is not our God which art in heaven, but our Father which art in heaven. Then you say, well, preacher, what's the difference? Well, it's a difference between how you view your relationship with Him. If you view your relationship with Him as a, as a relationship in which you were allowed or granted to enter into by saving grace, and you see him as much more than God in heaven, but you see him as a heavenly father that is always intimately, always involved in your life, then I want to tell you something. You will call him father. So what he's saying here is, since we always are calling upon him as father. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. How many agree that my father sits right back there? My earthly father. So I walk up to him and I say, do it. <laughs> Am I showing any sign of respect or relationship? So when we pray, we're to pray, Father. 
Why? Because that's who he is to the redeemed. Now, again, I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to walk out of here and say anything I didn't say. He is never, ever not God. He's always God. But we're to pray, Father. And so, to worship him, to cry out to him, is to cry out to him as a heavenly father. And we're obedient children. Let me give you a verse. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons. How many of you saved today say amen? You're sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So in other words, the Spirit of God came alive in you when God saved you. You entered into a a relationship with Him as son to a father. And at the same time, the Spirit of God was placed in you. And when the Spirit of Christ was placed in you, now the Spirit of Christ in you is crying through you, Father! And this is the glorious privilege in which you and I regret it. Now listen, I've told you this before, but let me remind you again. This is a privilege David didn't have. Moses didn't have. Abraham didn't have. Jeremiah the weeping prophet didn't have. No Old Testament saint had the privilege of calling him father. Why? Because the Spirit of God was not in them to cry through them, Abba, Father. But you and I can say, Father. What a glorious privilege of grace. And so we see the reality of obedient children. I want you to see, secondly, the recognition of obedient children. He says here in verse 17, But if you call, since you call on the Father, who without without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. I want you to see this with me. There's a couple things here in which Peter is writing to these believers and says, listen, you need to be be mindful of, you need to recognize. Who are you calling upon? When you call upon him as father, who are you calling upon him as your father? How many of you agree today that fathers are supposed to be vessels in the hands of God to help children grow in grace and knowledge. Which means sometimes what? You have to deal with what's done wrong. Sometimes you have to encourage by what was done right. Would you agree with that? Say amen. Why do we think our Heavenly Father won't treat us the same? Now, I want you to see this because it doesn't say what you think it says. The first thing you need to understand and recognize as an obedient children, as you call upon him as father, is number one, the impartiality of God. He's going to talk about how he judges our works. But here's what you need to know about your heavenly father. He doesn't have favorite children. In other words, God treats all his children the same. Now, I want you to listen to me. 
You say, what do you mean he treats all his children the same? How many agree the Apostle Paul was a child of God? He don't treat you any different than the Apostle Paul. There is no favorite children with God. He's impartial in all that he does. Now that ought to encourage you. Because a lot of us think that he'll treat those that are more spiritual or zealous better than he'll treat those that are not. No, he treats everybody the same. Now that ought to encourage you, but it ought to also convict you. Because if you don't understand the impartiality of God, then here's what's going to happen. The enemy will cheat you in your prayer life. Because here's what a lot of people think. How many of you would agree with me today by raising your hand that there was at least a day this week you just blew it? Okay? Here's what tends to happen with people when they have those days. Well, it ain't going to do me no good to pray tonight. He ain't going to listen to me. Do we need to repent of what we did that day? We do. But our Heavenly Father treats all His children on the same level. You say, how could He treat all of us on the same level? Because He don't see you in and of yourself. He sees you through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, he treats you on the level of how he sees you. And if you're saved today, he sees you always, every time, through the lens of his righteous son. Never partial. He's always impartial. All right, now, but let me show you the second component of this. Not only the impartiality of God, but the investigation of God. Notice what it says here. It says here in this passage... Without respect of persons, without any partiality, he judgeth according to every man's work. Now, think about this just a minute. What is he saying here? He says, listen, you're obedient children. You are called to be holy as he is holy, or you will be holy as he is holy. You're calling upon him in worship as a child to a heavenly father. And the father who you're calling upon, the Father who brought you into his, his family, the Father who redeemed you, the Father who saved you, the Father who called you, is the Father who's always examining you. Now listen, when we think of the judgment of God, here's what we think about. We always think about it in a future tense. In other words, we always think about it. How many agree today the Bible says that every child of God will stand before the beam of seat of Christ? Would you agree that every saved person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Not to be judged whether you're his or not, to be judged according to your works. In other words, the wood, hay, and stubble would be burnt off. The precious stones, gold and silver, will remain and be tried by fire. In other words, purified. And those things that will remain will become the rewards in which you and I will receive in glory. Now, that's coming one day. Now, if you're lost today and God don't save you, you've got a whole other judgment to worry about. It's called the great white throne. But that's not what this one's talking about. You say, how do you know this one's not talking about the Bema seat when we stand before him? 
Because here it is. It says that he judgeth according to every man's work. Here's what it reads. He judges, present active tense. He's judging and judging and continually and continually and continually examining your work. Let me tell you something. Right now, as you're sitting there, he's examining the motivation of your heart, how you're listening, how you're receiving, what you're going to do with the truth that you're getting, and he is right now examining your heart. But now, I don't want you to think of this in a negative term because this word also has this aspect, that he's not trying to examine what is bad. He's trying to examine what looks like his son. So in other words, he moment by moment by moment by moment is always examining our heart, examining our works, and he's looking to see, does this look like my son? Does this look like my son? heavenly father does this look like him who is holy in other words it's what you do holy. because here's the thing the manner of his determination is he's trying to see what looks like his son you say how do you know that because that's what the bema seat does the bema seat is the final judgment of god to the christian and the wood hay and stubble are the things that look like you the things you do in your flesh the gold silver precious stones are the things that jesus done through you those things will remain everything else will be burned up and so when the lord is examining your heart every moment of every day he's looking and he's saying, oh, Mac down there, I know he's my child. But what he's doing right now is it looking like me. You see, that's what he's doing. And folks, I want to taste something. As a child of God, there's not anything you'll ever say, anywhere you'll ever go, anything you'll ever think, or anything you'll ever do that's out of the sight line of your Heavenly Father. And you say, preacher, why is this important? Because why will I live holy as He is holy? if I'm not conscious of the fact that the Lord is always looking to see what's holy about me. So the next time you get in a conversation you're not supposed to get in, God's looking. The next time you don't do something you know you're supposed to do because the Bible says you are, God's looking. Now, listen to me with all the love I have in me. Will you do that? Say amen. If that does not stir within you a desire for obedience, you need to check up and make sure that you're his. Because the Spirit of God is always stirring within you 
a desire to be obedient. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, so this is the manner. But notice the measure of his determination. It says in some of man's works. Is that what it says? And how many of man's works? All, every man's work. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Lord knows I'm human. I mean, surely the Lord gives me a pass on something, doesn't he? No, every single minute detail of your life. He's always looking for the Lord Jesus being manifested in you. You see, this doesn't include just what you do and what you don't do. It includes why you do what you do. Or why you didn't do what you did. Supposed to have done. You see, this goes to every little aspect of our life. And so the measure, the measure of his determination is an all-encompassing thing that, that enfolds every little aspect of our lives that's the reason i keep telling y'all over and over and over and over again that repentance is a moment by moment second by second work in your life because there's never a time god's not looking there's never a time god's not searching and there's never a time god's not showing and so here's the thing as god as you grow in grace and knowledge let me tell you what's going to happen as you grow in grace and knowledge two things are going to happen Number one, first, you're going to be more sensitive to what looks like him and what doesn't look like him. And number two, you're going to be more sensitive when something comes out of you that don't look like him. You're going to be quicker to recognize it and quicker to want to deal with it. And so this is the thing. So it's, it's a positive work. And you say, why is it a positive work? Because here's what 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says. The judgment of God, when it is finished, here's what it produces. And then shall every man have praise of God. The end result of God examining our heart is what? That we can praise Him. Now remember the first clause in the sentence. Since we call upon Him in worship and praise and adoration, upon Him as Father... And then it says, who is not a respecter of persons, but is always continuously non-stopping, searching and looking at our hearts to see if it looks like him, if it looks like his holiness, if it looks like his son. Why? That the end result is we can praise him more. How many agree it's hard to praise him when you're out of fellowship with him? But aren't you glad our Father who is in heaven, aren't you glad our Heavenly Father loves you enough to show you what's causing you to be out of fellowship, that you can be in fellowship and continuously call upon Him in adoration and worship and say, thank you for being my Heavenly Father. Well, let's look at the third thing and the last thing this morning. Not only the reality of obedient children and the recognition of obedient children, but notice the reverence of obedient children. It says in verse 17, Judges every man's work, 
pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So why is it important we know that God's always examining the deeds and the motivations of our life? That we can pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. Now, what does all this mean? Here's what it means. The mindset for the journey. Because this is talking about a journey. Okay? Notice the mindset here. Pass the time. Now, this word pass has a twofold meaning. Number one, conduct yourself accordingly. But here's the meaning that I really like. It, it, it can be translated this way, to turn upside down. Now, how many of you agree today, when I, when I would say to you, boy, you need to turn your life upside down, what does that mean to us? It means something needs to radically change. Would you agree with that? Say amen. Well, that's what this word means. It means that the conduct of our life ought to be as if God has turned our lives upside down. I mean, there's so, something so different about us that we pass the time, we conduct ourselves, we go through this journey day by day by day by day, and we do this journey with a mindset that I'm called to be holy. I'm called by He that is holy and that I and to allow him to work in me that I can be holy as he is holy. And as God works that in you and works that in me, then I journey through this time of life conducting myself in likeness to my heavenly Father who I'm calling upon and worshiping on a continuous basis. Boy, isn't God good? Say amen. Look at this one. Not only the mindset for the journey, but the motivation for the journey. He says the time of your soul journey here. What's this word soul journey mean? Here's what it means. You are a stranger. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean I'm a stranger? Well, see, this gets to the attitude of the heart. Do you see yourself, as you live upon this earth, do you see yourself as this is your home for your enjoyment and for your pleasure? Or do you see yourself, this ain't my home. I've just planted my tent here temporarily. See, the attitude of the heart plays in here. All right? So what that's going to do is this. It's going to cause you to have a whole different perspective on your earthly life. How many of you agree today that when you... How many of y'all like to travel a little bit? Say amen. How many of you love, I mean just love, cannot wait to go stay in a hotel? How come none of you raised your hand? Why? 
not your home. Now you do it because sometimes that's the only way you can have a vacation. But I guarantee you, if I'm right here, somebody tell me if I'm wrong, but I guarantee you by the end of your vacation staying in that hotel, you're saying to your spouse, I can't wait to get home. You say, why do I say that? It's not your bed. The air conditioner's not the way you want it. There's people running up and down the halls you don't like. There's four little children in the room above you learning how to tap dance for a living. Y'all ever been there? And yet you can enjoy yourself to a point. But it's not home. But can I ask you a question? From a spiritual standpoint. Are you enjoying yourself? Being a child of God. But yes, staying in a foreign place. You see, folks, i got news for you. I can walk in the joy of the Lord while I'm here. But I'm telling you right now, you may think I'm morbid, and that's okay if you do. If God spoke right now and called me home, glory! If the Lord didn't let me live another hour, Glory! Do you know why so many people have trouble dying? They like where they are. You see, it's an attitude of the heart. If you see the life that you live now as your home, then here's what you're going to do. You're going to treat the things of God with great, great contempt. Westcott, an old Bible scholar from the early 1900s, I'm talking about 1910 era, here's what he said. He says, every year makes me tremble at the daring which with people speak and access the things of God. Can you imagine what he would say today? So let me ask you a question. People that know you, your family, your workers with you, your neighbors, Would they say of you, they're at home or they're strangers? Folks, I believe this. I believe people ought to recognize that I have the joy of the Lord here. But people ought to also recognize that my mind my heart, my affection, and my whole attitude of heart is not here, but there. You see, it's an attitude of the heart. Turn with me to verse chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Real quick, chapter 4. Look at verse 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. 
For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of the pleasures of men, but to the will of God. What dominates your decisions? Is it what you enjoy? Or what you know God would have you to do? See, if you realize this ain't your home, you're going to be consumed with what God would have you to do. Y'all still love me, say amen. I mean, this is what it's saying. All right, now, let me, let me show you this last thing and I'm done. Not only that, but you see the affection of the heart. So in other words, when you and I have a motivation that we're strangers, it's going to affect your attitude, but it's going to affect your affection. You say, what do you mean? So watch what it says here. It says, pass your time or conduct yourself as you sojourn here in fear. Now, this word fear has the idea of reverence, but let me unpack it for you a little more because I think sometimes people take this the wrong way because fear here doesn't mean trepidation. In other words, it doesn't mean that I am scared of God. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean I'm scared of the judgment of God. It's not what it means at all. You say, well, preacher, what does it mean? It simply means this, that I have such a love relationship with him as my heavenly father that I would never want to do anything that would be unpleasing to him because as a child to a loving father, why would you ever want to be unpleasing to your father? It's a reference. Respect. Now, so here's the thing. So it doesn't have to do with something in which you dread, but something you long for. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, but fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. What's the context? The judgment of God. I can have boldness. Why can I have boldness in the judgment of God? Because I got peace. So it's not me walking around on eggshells. It's not me walking around on eggshells and say, Oh no, if I think a bad thought, God's going to strike me down. It's not that at all. Here's what it is. Father, I love you and I praise God you for who you are and what you've done in me and what you've done for me and I don't want to do anything anything to grieve your heart I don't want to do anything to cause you trouble it's the same love you should have for your spouse if I asked anybody in here today that's got your spouse with you and I said to you, would you ever intentionally do anything to hurt your spouse? Every person in here would say no. You know why? Because you love them. It's the same picture. But see, we're so earthly-minded that we've lost all perspective of having a heavenly mindset. Towards a heavenly father. Life. 
is about us. It's not about him. When I have some extra time, yep, I'm all for God. But if this ain't your home, why are we invested so much in a temporary dwelling? Let me give you one more illustration and I'm done and I'm closing. How many of you have ever had to live in a place that you knew was going to be temporary? Raise your hand. Did you spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars getting it the way you wanted it? You mean you didn't invest a bunch of money in it? But you were living there. Yeah, preacher, but I wasn't going to live there long. I was just there till I could get out. Till I could find my own place. I caught my home. But yet we say we're saved. And we're living in a land that's not our home. But yet we're investing all of our time, all of our energy, trying to make a place that's not our home be enjoyable to us. What would you say of a person that was living in a temporary place that spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars renovating it and putting money into it and they knew they were only going to live there for a short period of time? I'll tell you what you'd say of them. You're nuts! Come on, folk. Would that not be what you would say? you say, well, I'd never say it to them. Well, you're thinking it. It's the same thing. Let me tell you what, true child of a God, an obedient child, who invests all their energy and all their time in making this little dwelling place an enjoyable home for them, you're spiritually nuts. Because you're not going to get any return on your investment. You're throwing it away for nothing. Oh, but when we invest my time, my affection, my energy, my focus in my heavenly Father who saved me in spite of me. Oh, I want to tell you, there's a return on that investment that no man can take from me. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you today for your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, I just pray we'd be honest with ourselves here this morning. As we let you search and show us what we need to see. Father, maybe there's folks in here today that they'll just have to truly be honest. Their mind, their attention, 
is so consumed with this world. The things of this world. The pleasures of this world. And Father, maybe today you've showed them that if they are who they say they are, it shouldn't be. Father, maybe there's somebody in here today, you're showing them that they never were who they think they were. Or Father, maybe there's those that just truly been born again, but just got so sidetracked with life. And somewhere along the way, Life became about them. Maybe today, you're letting them see that I have a Heavenly Father who loves me, saved me, done a work in me. I'm not who I used to be. My desires are changed. My longing has changed. My affection has changed. Everything about me is new. Maybe they just need to come this morning and get on an old-fashioned altar and say, Father, would you change my focus? Because I got distracted. And I'm sorry. Father, remind me over and over again that I'm just passing through. I'm just temporary. But for all of eternity, I'll be worshiping and praising you, my heavenly Father. But have your will and your way in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,